Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yep. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 219, and we're going to be interviewing Libby. How are you doing, Libby? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Jim. It's great to talk to you all. I'm from Australia, and I know you're a long way away, but addiction is across the world, so that brings us all together. Yes, it does. I mean, it's amazing. I say to people all the time, just it's amazing that we have this technology that all we both did was click on a button and now we're face to face. Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. People don't, I don't think people appreciate what they have much. I think it's a really exciting thing, Jim. Um, when my addiction, when I was first aware of it, I'm going back to 1991 before a lot of you would be born. Um, the reality is that I had no idea about a behavioural addiction at that stage, or I didn't know much about any addiction really. The reality is that when I went on the internet the very first time to try and find out what was going on, that was 19, that was 2001, 10 years later, and I felt so lonely. I was just looking, trying to find what was wrong with me. And then I found things from America papers that had been talked to, written about it. And I suddenly thought, I'm not the only one in the world. Until then, I thought I was the only one who couldn't cope. Now, 20 years on again, the way of us all connecting by using Zoom, I think we've got a terrific chance of getting addictions licked. You know, if we do, we can warn people about them. We can um, do something about them. We can relate to each other and talk to each other as human beings. doesn't matter where we're from. And I think there's so much hope. That's why I'm interested very much in your concept of interviews and um, talking with people across the world. I love it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I work my hardest to, I like to give everyone a voice because we all have a story to tell. And that is, I totally agree with you. The important thing, I believe, especially coming from Australia, talking about addiction in Australia is has in the past been very much only about Australia. We'll look at um, international research, but we'll only relate it to Australia. And we realised my particular addiction was gambling and slot machines. And uh, we started Gambling Action Group um, 12 years ago now on Facebook with the idea of trying to meet up with other people across the world. We realised we were treating this as a world problem. We needed to treat it as a world problem. And I imagine for all addictions, you know, there, there would be a, there's a growing concept of moving together. And I think that's where you're coming in now. Um, across the world, addictions generally, it's 
fantastic. It's so hopeful and it must give people new to the whole thing so much encouragement. I want them to really know that there's another side. There's yeah, you can get through it, guys. Don't worry about it. Well, that's what I love about our group is you you have access to more support. Once you say, Oh, you know what? I'm just an addict, whether I'm a gambler or a drug addict or an alcoholic, we kind of all have some a lot of similarities as far as what I call the symptoms of addiction. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've <laughs> I've I've seen that in my own family. You know, you hear about families with addictive personalities. I've got to say my family, I think, has been hit with that for generations. Looking back through even family stories, we had people who were alcoholics in the family. Um, one of the um, people in my family was very strong in setting up AA in Australia back in the 1950s. Um, clearly, he had a problem. Um, my own daughter had a problem with alcohol and we didn't realise I had a problem with gambling. My younger, my elder daughter had a problem with alcohol and I suspect drugs at one stage, although she didn't ever tell me completely. The reality is that uh, she now is a leading light in AA. Um, she she found that was her niche. But I, she, I, I couldn't grab AA so much but she happens to live in a city where there's a lot of people her own age and she's developed some wonderful friendships through AA and has become part of her social life as well so um last New Year's Eve she went to an AA dry turn and had a ball you know and did it with other AA friends so there's there's places for different groups to all have their value but the one thing that we've got in common is that we can all come together via your sort of concept, which I think is the, it's going to end up being the peak connector through everybody. And um, that I, I'm interested in talking with you with the idea of also getting you engaged with rethink addiction if you haven't already in places like Australia. So there's that side of it from my point of view. Um, that I'm really interested in talking with you. But do you want to ask me any questions? I won't hold you up. <laughs> You're not holding me up at all. It's a great conversation. So let's talk about you a little bit. So we're going to be talking about your life. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. My childhood growing up was the most naive, happy, fun childhood in my memory and all I can think of is I loved school. I loved going to school. I, you know, achieved okay at school, dreadful at sport, but I was able to at least, you know, enjoy lessons. So I had a group of friends. I felt very connected. I had a family who were busy and um, all working hard. The only probable difference for me at that stage, because I was born, you know, um, well, 1948, so I'm an oldie, but the reality is that my mother was a career woman as well as being a terrific mum. She also worked as a teacher. So I had that concept that women could do more than just be at home having kids. And when I left school, I went to teachers' college and I um, then went to university um, and did. I, I went to teachers' college and did home economics. Um, teaching and then went to do sociology and um, politics at university. 
So I was feeling like a pretty well-connected young uh, modern miss and I married and um, literally, you know, had a good time, spent lots of times going to the races. I didn't know, ironically, at that stage that my ex-husband, oddly enough, was a gambling addict on racehorses. But I thought it was all part of good, clean fun. And I see it now happening with people on sports betting. And it's a big danger of sports betting for younger blokes, especially where, you know, to be popular with your mates, you've got to have, you know, won the race or had a bet in it, this sort of thing. And it's um, it's a thing that has insidiously probably, you know, crept up all my married life. But I didn't connect with it at all as being a problem. I went teaching. I had children, two girls, beautiful girls. Um, I did have a crisis. My marriage broke up um, when my kids were very young, you know, three and four. But I met another fellow and we got married and had a very a blissful marriage for a couple of years. Um, had probably second marriage problems with um, families and stepchildren and all the usual bit. So that marriage faded too. Um, then I decided I was going out totally and doing my own thing. I started a factory um, for recycled clothing. I was proactive in the community. Um, I, you know, joined and belonged to things. I was connected socially. I felt very um, engaged with the whole community. And I had a, a very um, happy time um, in retail, selling retail and, you um, and, and also in manufacturing. So if anyone had any reason to ever look like, you know, why did you ever go gambling? Why did you need to escape? Why did you not know about addiction? I probably just was not expecting it. I thought I was invincible. I'd always achieved everything else that I wanted to do. And I thought, nah, you know, no, I'm not an addicted type, you know, I can, I can control myself. Um, nothing will ever get me. And it crept up on me before I even knew what was happening. And I imagine that the first time someone might take um, heroin or, or cocaine, they might think, oh, this is fine, I'll try it. But they don't realise, especially with new drugs like ice, which apparently are very, very addictive, um, they don't realise how... Um, how much that just becomes part of their they they're too confident that they that nothing can hurt them they might know deep down that you know it's a bit risky but they think they're better than they are and the first thing we've got to accept is that we are human beings with animal brains and animal instincts and we are actually governed by those much more than our own rational thinking um, and our brains are hardwired to be to like addiction if we're having a stressful time we want to wipe ourselves out that's a normal logical you know soothing reaction and I was addicted to slot machines way before I ever realized that I was addicted and when I got into real trouble, by that stage, I was so ashamed of myself. I couldn't believe that I, I thought, surely not me, you know, this sort of thing. I can't, no machine will ever get me. So I didn't face it. 
until I'd lost everything. In my case, I lost money. You know, in, in the case of someone on drugs, they're going to lose their health. With alcohol, they'll lose that as well. You know, I suppose with drugs, they lose money as well. But I lost everything. And I, you know, five years earlier, I'd owned three houses. Um, you know, I was well on my way to investing. Um, and my whole world came crashing down. And I just, I tried to reinvent myself. I went to the Aboriginal communities, which are remote communities, our Indigenous population, like your um, Indian you know, population American, yeah. in America. I went to one of those communities. I thought I'll get right away from everything. And that did work because Western Australia, one state of our Australia, is the only state to not allow slot machines. So I couldn't go near them. And that dried me out very much. Behaviorally, I was able to forget it a little bit. And that started me. That was 2007. But it took me another five years again to really get fully out of it. So I had a very long, slow, lonely exit from addiction, so real which is quick, why so I felt the need. Sorry? No, I was going to say, going back a little bit, what age did you first realize you had a problem? Well, see, this is the thing. I was, what, 48 when I first used a slot machine. I was 58 before I did anything about it, but I was probably only two years in, I, you know, 50, I realised I had a problem. Um, there was no help then. There was no sign up, you know, come, do you think you're addicted to slot machines? Come and get help. Um, it just took me a long time. I was older. I should have been wiser, um, but that was how I was. It was, I was 50. By the time I got out of my addiction, I was in my 60s. So it took me a long time, you know, almost 20 years from go to woe, which was depressing, which is why in why I started Gambling Action Group on um, Facebook, you know, to connect with other people. And I also started an association with two other girls I found, you know, and it was like finding one person in those days in Australia was amazing to even, are you, uh, my video stopped. Oh, no, but you're still, I could still hear the audio, so you're still recording. Oh, okay. Um, the, rea the reality is that um, it doesn't matter what age you are, Jim, it's probably the stage you are. You know, I, there are people with more sense than I've got who are 20 who know more about these things now. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So it took you about 10 years to actually do something about your problem. Why do you think um, it took that? Why do you think it took it, that? Long? It actually it actually it took 7 years to really start to do something and then I backed off and didn't do another anything for another 3 years. 7 years after my addiction started, I had started a business in Melbourne, a social network for single people. And it went really well. And um, the irony of the whole thing was that I had lots of social contact. And every time, by that stage, I was hopelessly addicted. And every time I held a function, 
I had a lot of money at the end of the function because people had paid to come. I went and blew it. And I had sold a house, um, planning to buy another one. And uh, when I sold the house, I um, unfortunately blew the money before I bought another one. So I suddenly went from being a person who had resources to nothing. I remember one night I opened my purse. I had 85 cents left and I was overdrawn at the bank. I had nothing at, at that age. I went to a counsellor and the counsellor at that stage was not, um, they weren't skilled in dealing with addictions either. They might have been with alcohol and drugs, but not with gambling. And so that wasn't a, a successful experience. My worst step was when I had uh, lost to get yet again at the Melbourne Casino. I literally drove to the top of our highest bridge in Melbourne and I was absolutely about to drop over the side. I was working out how to climb over. I couldn't see anything was way below me, was completely black. I had no idea how high I was. And all of a sudden, just as I was trying to work out how to put my leg over the side of the, the you know, the railing, a ship came out from under the bridge, came towards me under the bridge. I saw the prow of the ship and they blasted their horn and it went racing straight up into my face. And I've been told now that it actually broke a trance that I was able to get out of the trance. I had been in some sort of trance from playing poker machines for, or we call them poker machines, you call them slots, but I'd been playing them for about 15 hours straight. So you really got into a, a zone with them and it didn't go away immediately. So I got such a fright and I was, I thought I am really sick. If I'm talking suicide, I'm really too sick to be on my own. And I drove straight to the Royal Melbourne Hospital and went to casualty and, um, you know, emergency. And I went in and said, please, I'm not safe to be on my own. Can I stay here the night? And they let me stay the night. And in the morning, a doctor, you know, got me on the road, the first road to going to a counsellor. Well, that wasn't a very successful experience, but I wasn't ready to... I can see now I was too ashamed of the whole thing and I tried to do things on my own again for another three years. Then I hit the wall totally and, you know, I thought I'd hit the wall just losing money, but in the end I, I couldn't keep my job down. I had to leave in the middle of a year, which I was teaching our senior years and to go and leave in the middle of the year was a dreadful thing to do. So... Um, my kids were upset. They knew about it. They didn't know how to cope with me. My father had found out by that stage and thank God they stuck beside me. And my father grabbed me and said, you're coming home. He put me in under house arrest, so to speak, for six weeks. I went off and was treated with um, uh, meds from the doctor and I found out later the doctor said he didn't know how to treat a gambling addiction so he gave me the same medications that you get for alcohol and drugs and oddly enough they worked um they got me out of the uh physical need I had every um physical uh symptom of drug withdrawal you know spasms in my stomach shaking vomiting 
nightmares. You know, that went on for three weeks. So there is a physical nature, I'm sure, even in a behavioural addiction, and I'm sure it comes from the the dopamine in the brain um, being able to control that. So the physical addiction was one thing, but getting over the behavioural need to have the addiction was what took the long time. And that was way too long for me, Ten, another 10 years really, you know, to get out of it was just dreadful, more than 10 years. Had we had this now, I would have been out of it much faster. That's why I see the value of it now. But there was nothing in those days. Sorry, I'm going on too long. Just stop no, me not at all. Not at all. You say, well, you, you say what you need to say. Well, um, I'm totally committed now to people being very open about the fact that they've got addictions, admitting that they have got addictions in public places like Facebook where other people can look and say, hey, I'm not the only one because I do believe that every person starts off that way thinking they're the only one who's weird um, and it's only by seeing other people who talk about it the stories, sharing our stories, I think is so important for everybody um, and not being, I think, not being patronised as well. You know, I've found now because I go on the speaking, you know, I, I do community speaking, you'll have people say, oh, you're so brave speaking about it. No, not brave, just practical. You know, if we talk about broken legs and broken ankles, we can talk about addiction. It's the same deal to me. It is fixable. It is a condition. It is a problem, you know, only if we don't do something about it. And the more we can get new people who are just starting to look out saying, what can I do? I'm, I'm desperate here. I've got to do something. Um, I can't go on like this. Um that's the stage where we can get people and and say to them, you're not the only one. You've actually learned a hell of a lot by being in this position. So let's work out where you're going next and let's work out the message you want to give to other people as well and the message you want to give to yourself. Um, I think the messages between us all are the most important side of overcoming the behavioural addictions. And that's, I'd like to hear more as well. You know, for example, when did you decide to do something about this? When did you get angry enough? When was the fire in your belly enough to say, I've had this, I'm doing something about it? I found out I was having a daughter. <clears throat> this is my first kid and it lit a fire under my ass where I said, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And I realized I couldn't control myself. That's... I just, I came to the realization that I was not in control. That's what made me get help because I don't want my daughter to ever see me like that. I think that's so, it's so beautiful hearing you say that because I had the same feelings when I saw my children's faces, and I'm, I was older, they were 20, you know, and 22, when they found that suddenly we were homeless. We had nothing. You know, other parents had a house, other parents had somewhere. They were going out trying to meet boys who they'd meet and marry one day. 
can you imagine them saying my mother's homeless? You know, that was just not part of my concept of life at all. Um, and that's what I had to, first of all, face that I'd done that to myself. And secondly, I was obviously a protective mother, you know, mothers and fathers are protective. You don't want that going on to your second generation. Um, I had the same sort of feeling, but the feeling of doing something about it took me a lot longer than it's taken you. How many years are we talking about between you realising you had an addiction and doing something about it, like this um, Addictions Anonymous? Well, I've been sober since March 10th of 2020. I didn't start Addicts Anonymous until July of 2021, I believe. Because um, I did a, I'm what smiling. I did. I basically studied the entire time. I was like, if I'm going to start a group and all that stuff, I got to know about all types of addiction. So I read about all types of addiction. Well, I'm smiling. It took you one year, so to speak. And it took me so much longer. And that's where, you know, I all credit to you. It just, I don't know why it took me so long. I can only explain it for two reasons. Ego, um, a, an unrealistic view of my own ability. Uh, it took me a long time to realise I was out of control. And it took me even longer to find other people at the same, you know, there is one thing I will say to possibly explain this, and that is that our marketing in Australia for gambling was very much um, people are normal. If you've got a problem, there's something wrong with you. Nobody wanted to admit that they had a problem because that meant they had something wrong with them. Yeah. Um, we all knew a lot earlier, for example, that if you drank too much, you'd end up dying, you know, Drugs we knew we were scared of, but we didn't know as much about. Um, but there was sort of a a consequence for drinking alcohol that meant death, which was more um, significant. Nobody had actually spelt out the significant consequences for gambling addiction, and that was that it was a silent private addiction able to be hidden, but the consequence was losing money. Now, that um, and self-esteem, that that hooked into more of how we viewed ourselves as human beings and money is not death-defying, so it didn't have the same importance as if you drink so much you get cirrhosis, your liver will pack up and you will die. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's also ruined a lot of good therapy opportunities for people because they won't get the funding because it's not death-defying um, gambling addiction. Uh, with an alcoholic, you will happily drink yourself, drink yourself to death and solve the problem for everybody in the government because they won't have to look after old people. It sounds horrible saying that, but there's a bit of the same concept with smoking um you know, smoking cigarettes, which ironically I had that addiction too for 45 years. I was a smoker. Uh, I can't believe now, you know, how I did that. But then that was very much marketed. Remember when all the doctors, camel cigarettes, they were on the back in the 50s, you know, they were all promoting the best cigarettes to smoke. Yeah, 
I, yeah. I obviously I wasn't around them, but I do. I have seen a lot of those articles and stuff like that about the doctors who they said to help lose weight, be calm, all types of things. Well, the interesting thing is that when they stopped cigarette advertising, that helped a lot. Now, in Australia, we don't have um, advertising for alcohol. We do a bit. I've forgotten. We can't do it at sports events or something, but it's quite limited alcohol advertising. I don't know about the US. All I know is that in Australia, gambling, it's on, honestly, mainstream TV. It is out there right now. The biggest moneymaker for them will end up being online, the sports gambling or yeah. You know, that I see as a huge problem coming up for the younger generation who are now playing all the Xbox, you know, the games and things. They're going to be the next generation there. I don't know where alcohol, I don't know what you do about alcohol in America. Do you advertise it or? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen commercials. I think I've seen definitely Bud Light or I'm sorry, Coors. I've seen beer commercials. Uh, unless I'm just completely wrong, but I'm pretty positive I've seen beer commercials. And I feel like I've seen commercials for liquor also. Very, right. very few of them. There's not a lot. Okay. Well, I'm feeling the same way about it. But gambling, um, advertising, you know, on we have the Melbourne Cup. Um, it's a horse race. It's the world stops for the Melbourne Cup. You probably even hear who wins it over in America. But the reality is that, you know, every young person wants to be part of the Melbourne Cup. We have cup sweeps. We have, it's all about it. So people get, they literally get swept into the idea of doing these things. There's money behind it for the people in the industries that run them. And over in Australia and in America, they pay money. The political parties get money from all of these different industries. So it's an insidious, um, it's a network of people profit, profiteering from people uh, becoming sick, you know, using too much of a product. Of course, that makes money for the industry, but it kills the person. And that's what we're up against. We're trying to, we're trying to warn people and say, hey, you know, stand up to these companies. Don't don't let them suck you in. Don't let the look at their games they're playing. You've you've been played. You know, if even uh, well, we've our um at the moment, I believe. Have you brought um? Is it hash? What do you call it? I call it marijuana. That's legal now, is it? In the US, yeah. Well, I was told I was told by a policeman years ago that, that the new he said it's not like the marijuana you had as kids. Um, not that I actually took it. I was so aware of it. I was scared stiff of it. Ironically, got another addiction, but I was terrified of any drug um, and didn't take it at all. But now the kids are really feeling, oh, marijuana's okay. You know that's safe. But unfortunately, in Australia, often the marijuana is laced with something more addictive. Um, we've got good. a high level of cocaine use now, which is becoming the designer drug of all the young trendies, you know, the young bankers, the young 
up and coming guys who want to get up in the corporate world, you know, mar um, they're probably thinking marijuana is just boring. Cocaine is their choice. Did you find that, that it became a socially acceptable thing to have cocaine or did you just have it on your own? Well, it's definitely not socially acceptable. People are still against cocaine in America. Marijuana is now socially acceptable because all the states are legalizing it. So eventually it's just going to be, I was, I was telling someone else before, and this is true, obviously, I'm going to have to tell my daughter, who's only two and a half now and she's older, oh, you can go to the store and buy marijuana, but daddy lived during prohibition. Daddy had to go to drug dealers technically and find marijuana. You know what I mean? That's well, the, I mean, there's a huge difference now to the way it was. You know, it's, I can't believe it. I kid around saying now that I quit pot, it becomes legal. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask you then, do you, th I'm going to tell you what I think, having tried to work it out. I believe that all drugs should be made legal, all of them, and then the government would be able to control to get the high price tag out of drugs. That would get rid of the drug dealers. And as long as people had to register to use those drugs so that then you could watch them more, a little bit like we've now got safe injecting rooms in Australia. Yeah, but the only problem um, with that is drug addicts are not reliable people. They're not going to register everyone. You know what I mean? You're going to have a, a registry that's not just a lot of people are still going to be embarrassed. No one's, you know, a lot of people won't want to admit they're using heroin. They don't tell anybody or whatever the case might be. But as far as making everything illegal, I know they did it in Portugal first. And then I know in New, in the uh, United States, Oregon, the state of Oregon, everything's legal. And I think what they do is they take all the money they spent prosecuting those people and they put it into rehabilitation. Right. And supposedly it's working. The only thing I care about is not social stigma. It's does it work? Yeah. If it okay. works, people, people will get over the stigma. Because you know how many people, when I say what a safe injection site is, they go, why would you do that? You're only encouraging drug addicts. It's like, no, we're not. They're still going to use no matter what. Yeah. Just well, giving them a safe are. place does not encourage them. I thought... I thought by having legal drugs, it would make them cheaper to buy, which, of course, they'd say, why do that? More people will use them. But in return, if you were able to buy cheaper drugs by registering to get them, I was forgetting that people would have a stigma they'd be too embarrassed to actually register. But then the the carrot would be you can get your fix for a dollar, not $100, and that must be a huge pressure too for drug addicts, mustn't it, to be able to find that money? I've spoken with prostitutes, girls who work with the major casinos, ironically, who developed gambling addictions because they were employed on a casual basis by the security people at the, um, the, security people at the casino to go up and service customers when they needed it. They'd go up, do a trick, Earn two hundred bucks, then they'd go go down and blow it, waiting for the next is one. Is that um? Is it legal in Australia? Prostitution? I forget. It is. That's prostitution is legal as long as it's um. Well, 
Yeah, my, my daughter does call that because she heard me say it. As long as it's in a registered brothel. Well, I don't re I don't know whether a casino is actually a registered brothel. So that's a bit of a grey area. Um, I don't think the casinos don't want people to know that that's what they're organising. They're providing a service, but I don't think they're advertising it. And I don't think it would be legal for them, to be honest, um, if anyone really got into it. The trouble is we've got police on the take. We've got crooked, bent police um, who are in with the drug, you know, with, with the casinos and drugs. And, you know, it's a bit of an insidious problem in Australia because we really have got members of parliament, like your Congress, they're all getting paid by these industries to do what the industries say. Mm -hmm. We've got bent police in our police force who get kickbacks by turning a blind eye. So between everybody, our, the environment for drugs looks like it's being well monitored, but it's not. It's We were even talking about it as a family yesterday. How the hell do so many drugs get into Australia? They make a big thing about being able to pick them up at the border, you know, at the airports. But, you know, Australia's a big place with a long coastline. Surely to God it's not too hard to get a couple of skin divers going and landing somewhere. Nobody would know, you know, and, and there's, so there's so many ways of being able to get drugs in, but the drugs have a street value of, say, $20 million at the moment. Well, by having them legalised, you get rid of that. You know, it, it becomes unprofitable to make it, to even bother making it. And I think it would, over time, hopefully, gradually, you know, drop down. Again, I'm totally happy to change my mind because I'm learning about it and I believe that things like ice, a big problem for us is ice. Have you got ice over where you are? It's ICE. The, this is one that's made at home, literally. In oh, the you mean it's the name of the drug? It's the name of the drug. I thought you were and, talking about Border Patrol for some reason. No, no. Um, ice the name of the drug. I mean, they have ice cookies, you know, cookers or, you know, people make it in their kitchens. Well, when it's that blooming easy to make, you know, you're going to have people making it themselves. That's why it's taken off because they can't afford cocaine. You know, cocaine is a designer drug. Um, and it's got its own following because suddenly it sounds weird, but people think, oh, you know, I'm part of something. If I, if we have cocaine, you know, we're, we're wealthy. You know, it gives an image of wealth. It's quite sad, really. Uh, we don't, what we need is many more pictures of people who have, you know, long-term drug addicts to scare hell out of people at the school level. I don't think we get nearly enough teaching in school, you'll get pictures of people. They need to get people who are quite damaged, you know, over their lives, who have got through it, but who can go and talk to kids in the schools. Maybe that might make people wake up. I don't know. <laughs> it's anyway, a problem that, it's always going to be right. something that we're, we're going to keep learning as we go along. Yes, it is. And the, again, this is where I see the value of what you're doing. It's not just learning as we go along, it's sharing what's happening in different countries. See, I didn't know until now 
that Oregon has got everything legalised. So I'll immediately get off as soon as this is finished. I'll get off and go and Google it. You know, yeah, it, it helps should be. If I'm not mistaken, Oregon made everything legal. I'll have a look and see. As and long as it's for personal my, use. Only for personal use, yes. Well, you know, that that's fine. Um, I I remember reading where Portugal, you know, had had a really good um system where they did it too. But the people who watch your program, your your interviews, are they people tell me about them. Are they, are they people who are just re coming to grips with their own problems or are they researchers or are they um, just generally interested people in the community? Well, we talk Who about people your... in our group. Yeah, the people in your group. They're they're all over the place. I mean, obviously, we find a lot of addicts and a lot of people just need someone to talk to. And um, I make sure that the people that help run the group with me are always looking out for people that need help. We have a list of sponsors. So if somebody ever needs to be placed with a sponsor online, we can do that for them. But um, as far as who's in the group, I've had some people who that uh, they're doing research on addiction and they just wanted to get some information. I've actually had that before. If I'm not mistaken, a girl was doing a school report and she needed help and I helped her with that. But mostly it's uh, people that are addicts and they need help. Right. And that's what, well, the addicts who need help, I think, is such an important group. Can you get them to talk much or are they very quiet at first, just sitting, listening? You talk about like in a meeting or something? Yeah. Well, most people in the beginning are kind of quiet because they, they want to get the feel of the room. You know, it's scary going into a meeting where you don't know anybody and yeah, sure. you're, you're expected to open up about your life to a room full of strangers. It's not easy. I, it's not easy at all. I agree. And that's why it's so good to even have one person who can describe what they felt. And it's it's in the it's in the realization to me how I felt when I first read, and I was only reading research from America, and that was enough to make me think I'm not the only one. As soon as you can have people describing something and other people can relate to it, that terrible loneliness that comes, the fear that comes with being out of control, because before you realise and say, I've got to do something about this, you've realised before that and you've probably tried to deal with it and have failed. So then you've got failure on top of it. Um, you've also got ignorance because you're not exactly sure what stage you're at yourselves. Um, you might, I'm, I'm trying to imagine with alcohol, it's so readily available, you just go straight down the street and buy some more. Exactly. You know, buy, you know it's an ongoing thing. And it's until you start losing people in your life or threatening to lose them, I don't think I would have stopped had my family not stepped in and said, it's us or, or, the, or, the, or the slots. You know, you keep doing that, you won't have us. They got to that stage. That's good. Now, I was lucky that they did warn me. Yep. Some people I know have got to that stage and that's it. There's no going back. And I feel terribly sorry for those people because those families need educating as well. It's not just the person who's got the addiction. 
Nobody asked for addiction. Nobody ever bought into that part of the equation. That came unexpectedly to all of us, I believe. Um, but everybody on earth has made it possible. Our legislation, our society, what we believe in, what we accept, what we promote and advertise, what we look past, that's all of our responsibility. And I see it as being just as much a responsibility of the people around us and our families. Um, and I'm not trying to say that as a cop-out. You know, um, people say, oh, well, it's your choice. You made the decision. It's not a nanny state. You know, and I say, no, we didn't make a choice to have an addiction. We made a choice to survive our lives. An addiction came um, as part of the cure, unfortunately. It, it was worse than the disease, um, the addiction. So I'm into building people up. I'm into building people up again when they feel that they've lost everything, when they feel that their families don't understand anymore. Um, that's where I think other people who have been through it can say, I know how you feel. And then I want to be able to say to them, I know how you feel, but please stick with us, trust trust everybody, you know, look at the wisdom of the group and that way we'll all get through it together and we'll all be stronger people. And when they can get out and start telling other people about it, what they've learned, I think, we're, you know, we're all together. Every person who joins your group is potentially a crusader. Um, I'm not into being, you know, crusades and rah-rah and, doing things. I'm a practical person. I want to get out and do it. But every person who's got an addiction, in a way, it's almost <laughs> the gift you didn't want, but it is a gift to have actually experienced that sort of hardship because then you're in the position to be able to say to other people, I know how you feel. And yes, there's a way through it. The saddest side of addiction I see, um, I really do see suicide as being a very sad, very uh, avoidable outcome, but unfortunately likely to happen with, especially with gambling. I don't know whether alcoholics get to the suicidal stage, they just die. And maybe drug addicts do too, if they go too far with it. But I imagine with drug addicts and with alcoholics, there's a big gap between having a good time and feeling addicted and actually being at death's door. Did you ever get to the stage where you felt like you were at death's door? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I felt like that. Were you ever told by a doctor, if you keep doing it, you'll die? No. Or did you just know? I didn't tell anybody. I just knew. I mean, I, I was I was doing crazy stuff. Like I would literally be snorting Adderall, which is an upper and mixing it with Klonopin, which is a downer. I'd mix them together and snort that. I'd be up for days. I'd be drinking during this time. Plus, I was on a bunch of antipsychotic medications. So there were times where yeah. I went days where every day I had seven, eight things in my system. Plus how did the drinking. You, how, did you get medical help to yes, actually? Yes, I went to a detox facility. In the detox facility, there's medical help. So they gave me medicine I to help me out. That's interesting. How long were you in detox facility? 
eight days. I believe right. it was eight days. In Australia, they had the eight-day or seven-day program and they found that that wasn't quite long enough for most people. You were pretty switched on to get through it, I believe, in eight days. Um, they've now, in Australia, got a one-month residential program where you can go, and I would love to have that for gamblers as well. They haven't made it for gamblers because they say gamblers are a behavioural addiction, the others are physical addictions, but there's a physical aspect to gambling addiction as well, and that's where I think you need that same rehabilitation um, for a month. Have you got residential programs funded by the government almost? In line with there that. are so I got government funding, but it's not like it's it's not as easy as your country because your country you have nationalized health care, correct? Um, it's not a it's you would call it nationalized health care. Yes, it's a, a basic public health system that yeah, does universal health care. Yeah, it does cover that. Um there is still pri paid private health cover. It's not a complete system. Um in England, everything's just on the national health, you know, dentistry, everything. Um, they've got a very well-structured system. Australia is a bit of a halfway model. I believe in America you literally have to buy it all yourself, don't you? If someone's yeah, got for, no money. We, you either pay for insurance or you pay for the doctor yourself, which is very expensive. If, that's what I'm meaning. Do most people have... Um, if you haven't got private health cover in America, can you go to a doctor yes, without but paying? Then, then you have to pay the doctor out of your own pocket. Right, which is very expensive, yes. especially for people who are broke. Exactly. Um, we have got a system where you can go to a doctor and you get it at a reduced price. But to be blunt, you get what you pay for and you still need to have private health cover if you want to have a decent cover, you know, if you want to really. Um, now, the government did come in with um, helping alcoholics. They said if you join private health for two months, then we will give you the same. Um, oops, I've just lost you. No, I'm here. What have I done? Hang on. I've clicked it. I'm back. Um, then they... Um, We'll give you the private health cover, the same benefits as people who have been paying paying private health forever. I think there's there's a lot of uh, in Australia. We need to understand much more about addictions. That's the first thing as a community. We unfortunately have a policy in Australia of not advertising suicides. Uh, we need to be much more open about how many people do die from suicide in a year. Our whole system is geared to not telling people the full truth. And that is very convenient for our industries, the alcohol industry, the horse racing, you know, industry when they're all, I'm getting a, a restart required. Oh, that's in something else. Sorry. Yeah. Our, um, I find in, in America you seem to be more open with each other about even the way you discuss things in your newspapers, I feel, or is that changing now? What do you mean? Are you feel, um, 
we don't get told everything that in in Australia our press our our newspapers is very much controlled by Rupert Murdoch who I believe is very strong in America as well and that he only prints what he wants to print now unfortunately we don't we've got other journalists who are freelance journalists but they're not as strong and don't get the message out as much as Rupert Murdoch does and he's mates with our TV owners so we get this mainstream message um, that suits all the industries and suits the political parties. They they don't come along, along enough to tell us about the real hardships in our community that are being caused by all of these addictions. And that's where I come in from a community perspective. For example, in my own community, a very small country community, um, slot machines alone kill 511 jobs, 522 jobs every year on estimate. You know, they literally take jobs out of our communities. We need to be able to give that message to our communities back. I don't know what the cost of alcohol addiction would be, but that would be huge. And now oh, yeah. drug addiction would be enormous. You know, imagine the second generation. You know, the kids who are being born literally to drug-affected mothers and alcoholic mothers, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome has become a big thing in Australia. I mean, the problems that are coming out from using these, it's no longer just, oh, well, that's your choice and we're making money from it. I think we're starting to look at where our whole fabric of our, our national economy is being affected by these things. That's a serious side to me. You know, the implications go much further than that's where I see everyone who's involved in talking with you in your meetings. Um, fix yourself first with help. Everyone will help you get to get fixed. But then start looking at this problem in the same way as you would look at any other problem in your workplace. You have an issue. How do you fix it? What needs to be done? And I would love to see everyone get to that stage. Um, some people might say, I'm not interested, I don't care, as long as I'm not doing it, I'm happy. But I've I've actually found that to be one of the biggest motivators to keep me on the right track. You know, looking and seeing and understanding now the real damage in our society, which is much more than just one one person dealing with their addiction. It's the damage to the whole family, as you recognised, you know, you didn't want your child going up with the same issues. Um, you certainly, well, you wanted to be around for her. You certainly didn't want her picking up on behaving the wrong way. And also I feel that you'll be a much better dad by warning her, you know, being able to warn her. You'll be much more switched on. I believe, even by having to get your drugs illegally, you would know, wouldn't you, exactly how young people get drugs or how do they get them now? Yeah, I mean, it's a that's a, a whole, we can do a whole other episode on this stuff. Are you vaping? Yeah, I vape. See, ironically, in New Zealand, 
we've got vape shops here. I'm yeah, horrified. This is, I, this is my, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but it's just around the same time. This is hopefully my last one. So it's another thing I said to myself the other day. I don't even want my daughter to see me doing that. Well, I've got to say to you that for some reason, New Zealand thinks it's okay to vape. Australia right now is getting hysterical about vaping. You know, they're really trying to push all the, the doctors are trying to push all the negatives about it. Somewhere in the middle will be okay. But I'm interested in just seeing um, just, you know, different ways of coping. Um, one of the things on, um, you know, in all of this is how to get through the coping. All I can say is that, for God's sake, go to your doctor, take all the drugs that they recommend, um, you know, if they work for you, do everything you can to treat yourself medically, but also treat yourself psychologically as well. Don't just think it's all going to be cured by taking tablets, Valium tablets or whatever you take for, you know, getting over alcohol. Don't think it will be cured in just a couple of days. You've got to treat it as a psychological issue, um, one that needs behaviour change. And it's a bit like doing exercises. The more you do them, the better they get or the easier they get. And, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it, that concept. Exactly. Um, so there's a lot of inspiration um, that needs to be given to people and that only comes with sharing and them opening, opening up willing to listen so they've got to learn how to listen better and, and share and speak better as well you're looking yeah. anxious are you wanting to stop this because it's gone too long or no, it, no no i was wondering i don't know how long it goes for <laughs> oh no we'll be wrapping up soon but no i'm not anxious i was wondering if i was taking up too much of your time that was no all. not at all do you want to ask anything else well, yeah, I always ask one last question. You kind of already did it. I was going to ask if you had any advice for people watching or listening. Um, my advice, first of all, would be immediately tell your family. They love you. They are the people who probably already know. And even if you think they don't know, they do know. And they will help you most. So if you can, a loved one, or a friend, immediately share it. Then immediately after that, I would tell my family doctor. I do have respect for the for the medical profession. Um, they've been they've seen everything in their practices. They they have the contacts. They know well. Hopefully, they know how to treat you. So you tell your family doctor. And then you, if hopefully the family doctor will give you um, the places to go and see. What you can be doing in your own time is searching the net. You can be looking for things like Addicts Anonymous, um, going on Facebook, looking at other groups. In Australia, there are other groups. Going to places like um, AA, even if you think it's a load of hogwash, you know, try it out. You know, try out what suits you. Go to counselling. Do everything. Don't don't ignore any way of therapy without trying it. Um, 
accept the fact that you are not going to be like this forever. You are doing something about it. So it is a proactive thing to be facing and you're doing yourself a favour by doing it. My advice to people would be get all the professional help you can, but you've got to put your own time and effort into it, do your own research, get on the internet, get on social media, learn about the whole issue yourself. Um, it's no good saying to an addict, as I'm sure you would say, don't go, just stop. You've got to accept the fact that addiction itself is the inability to stop. So yeah. you can't make yourself do something that you're programmed not to do. So you've got to be gentle on yourself, but you can't you can't lie to yourself either. So that's where getting on with other people can actually help you to come back and re remember it's your it's your deal. You can get all the help. There's all the help available. If you don't look for it, then you need to find it. But at the end of the day, it's something that only each one of us can do. We can't, nobody else can do this for us. And it's probably like climbing a mountain. You look at it and all you can think of is, you know, a long journey takes, you've got to take the first step. Yeah. If you don't take the first step, you're going to be six foot under. It's your choice. That's the choice. You'll kill yourself. One way or the other, you'll kill yourself or your life will be dead as you know it. You'll be so ostracised that, you know, you'll be, do you really want that? Now, I don't know the answer. If someone says, no, I just want death, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. But most people, I think, would choose to do something about it. And that would be the group that I am looking to inspire and to educate and to share and to learn from. And all well, I very much believe in what you said as far as being educated, doing the research, hop on Google, hop on social media. It's really important because the more about, you know, the way you work, the easier it is to help fix yourself. Yes, I absolutely agree. You know, knowledge is power. And yes. the more we understand about it, the better. And however we get that, whether we read it ourselves or whether other people share it in meetings or even links, you know, read this or have you seen this, you know, even newspaper articles, anything that gets people discussing it as an issue. We've got to look at this as not a personal failure. We're human beings. We're behaving like human beings. We're hardwired to behave. You know, that's that's it. Our brains were our brains were built that way, that we like pleasure. We like getting dopamine hits, you know, in our brains. We can't help that. Um, we like getting the high of addiction. And once we accept ourselves for that and then realise the dangers afterwards, we find it a little bit easier, I think, to step away from it. That's easier said than done, though. Um, I suppose... The first thing I'd be doing is saying, know yourself, know your condition, get all the help you can get and join with other people. Do not treat it on your own. That's that's it. That's some great advice. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I know we, uh, we're trying to schedule this for quite some time and I'm, I'm happy we were able to finally connect. 
I'm happy too, Jim. I, um, I've seen how uh, I, I'd love to ask you, have you connected yet with a, a site in Australia called Kick in the Punt? It's Ben um, Hamilton, a young bloke who had, I believe, slot machines and um, alcohol. I'm, I'm sure drugs will be in the mix there, but he had a pretty, uh, he's a young tradie. It's a Facebook group. And if you could get your podcasts, if you could let him know, I think I sent a link to his group once. He's been going through a bit of a tough time. His wife actually and he broke up and um, uh, she was his big support and he's had trouble with bust outs. You know, he's been having relapses, things like that. But the group is now, the group that ironically he started is now helping him. Um, to overcome, uh, you know, his pressures at the moment. But he he's your age group or younger. He'd love to talk with you. Yeah, you set it up. I'd be happy to talk with him. Well, can I set up one of these interviews? This interview here is just with you, just talking to you. Is that right? That's that's how this interview or will this interview go to a group or bits of it or will you edit it or... How would you well, use this, that? this gets posted. Uh, I, I will talk about it after it's done. I'll let you know where it's posted, but it's posted on oh. all social media. Oh, right. Okay. So, well, okay. I I now understand much better of where I can actually send what you're doing. Yeah. Like I said, group. after we're done recording, I'll, I'll get you all the links and stuff so you can f find out where to, you know, watch your own podcast and stuff like that. Share it with oh. friends and family. All right, then. Okay, well... All right, sit tight um, for me. Don't go anywhere. All right, let me just do my little sales pitch for the group, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit after the episode about maybe scheduling something with your friend. That's fine. I won't go anywhere. <laughs> All right, sounds good. For everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out, as I was mentioning, on all social media. We're on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook. Tumblr, TikTok, and Instagram. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of resources as well as free literature there. And we also have a book coming out. I'm hoping to have it out by mid to late February. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. Um, it's a collection of people's stories as well as I write about a bunch of different topics in there. So I'll keep you guys updated on that. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.